Leviticus 19, 1 through 2, 9 through 18, and 33 through 37. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for their sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob them. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of them. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against anyone of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do them wrong. You shall, street, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love them as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weight, a just ephah, and a just hen. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. The word of the Lord. So we've been going through a series on Leviticus. And if you were here with us last week, Eric taught us from Leviticus 18 what the Bible has to say about sexual ethics. And that is, for us today, culturally, a very difficult topic to talk about. Um, it can be divisive and confusing for many. Um, but I found it very helpful, incredibly sensitive, just really good and helpful for a lot of reasons. So if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go listen to that on our website. Um, and so... We go from Leviticus 18, talking about one of the most difficult things for us to talk about culturally, to probably the most palatable, if not one of the most famous statements in all the Bible. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the sojourner as yourself. We talk about sexual ethics. Some people might try to stop you before you start. But if I say, love your neighbor as yourself, probably nobody's going to say, like, whoa, slow your roll, buddy, like, Hold up. How dare you have an ethical system that has anything to do with loving others? 
And we like this one. It's easy for us. That's because love for others, it forms the baseline for probably most ethical commitments by people today and across history, um, Christian or non-Christian. Pretty much everyone accepts, without exception, the necessity of loving others as a part of their moral foundations. And yet, hearing a sermon on loving your neighbor as yourself, it might sound, I don't know, boring, typical, like really a whole sermon on this, or maybe even hypocritical, depending on where you're coming from. And to be honest, um, though this seems like an easy command for us, um, maybe potentially an easy sermon to preach, the more I got into it, I realized that it's not. And sometimes some of the most simple concepts can be some of the hardest to explain or the hardest to live out. So think back to when you were learning math. You learned that 2 plus 2 equals 4. And a lot of us just learned that 2 plus 2 equals 4 just because it is. It's 4, it will always be 4, and that is just what it is, right? We weren't given a foundation. And if we miss the foundation of how these things work, Math builds on itself. And when we get to more complicated rules of math, when we get to higher levels of math, we might be confused when things don't look so black and white. And so sometimes we can have a similar experience with the command to love each other. You know, it sounds good. Two plus two equals four, good. Love your neighbors yourself, good, cool. A lot of us think we're doing that really well. Do no harm, you know, whatever your definition of love is. We're like, all right, okay. But then things get hard. We see our own sin. We see our own failure to live up to this command. Or worse, we're on the wrong side of somebody else failing to live up to this command. And then all of a sudden, it doesn't seem so simple. It doesn't seem so easy for us to live this command out. So today we're going to talk about love. There are commands in the Bible to love. And my prayer is that as we talk about this, we would see and we would hear God's provision in the midst of his commands to love. So here God gives Israelites commands to love in Leviticus 19, what we just read. But he never gives them arbitrarily. And they are never severed from who God is and what he's already done for the Israelites. So we see in today's passage that we're called to love God, we're called to love each other, and we're called to love the outsider. And in each of these, we are never left without God's affirmation and provision of his good character as the foundation of these commands to love. So here's the point. Love, because God has loved us. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Because God has loved us, love. And we're going to see three things that we're called to do in Leviticus here. Because God loves us, we can love God, love each other, and love the outsider. So, pretty simple. So this is what God's laws in Leviticus call us to do, right? So the first one, love God. Because God loves us, we can love God. Where am I getting that? Let's take a look at verse 1 and 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Okay, being holy is a call to love God. What do I mean? Well, we've talked about the word holy. Eric taught us about holiness, and he gave us the Hebrew word for holy. Does anyone remember? 
This is review. It's kadosh, right? Okay, so Eric, yeah, good job. All right. So Eric taught us about this, and he taught us what holiness is about and how it uh, denotes being set apart, being special, um, being other. It's about being set apart for a special purpose. Okay? So holiness here is a call to be in a special relationship with God. Let's think back to Exodus 19, where holiness here is a call to be, oh yeah, Exodus 19, where God actually establishes his covenant with Moses. What does he say? He says, you will be a royal priesthood and a holy nation to me. Now, God had just rescued them out of Israel, I mean, out of Egypt, and he tells them, I've chosen you to be mine. So we are set apart to be in a special relationship with God in which he says, you shall be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. What's he saying? He's saying, I want you to be like me. I want you to be like me. It's not some arbitrary command. A lot of us hear the verse and we hear, uh, be holy because I'm holy. But actually what it says is, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Your God. He's saying, before we even get started here, I'm yours. And I have given myself to you. And that's really important for us. And God says, I've shown you that. I've rescued you out of Egypt. I'm yours. Your God. So what God's not doing here is telling his people that they need to be holy to earn his love. He's already set his people apart. He's already begun this relationship with his people. And what holiness is, is he calls them to lean into that relationship, to be like me, to meditate on his laws. Actually, that's what this chapter is all about. It's an expounding upon the Ten Commandments. It's a meditation on the Ten Commandments. And so we're here to lean into that relationship, to learn to love what God loves and to hate what he hates. And we see a lot of that in this passage. That's what loving God is. It's learning to be like him. He's bending down to us and saying, I want you to be like me. I'm the author of life. I know how it's made to be lived, and I'm good. So be like me. Be holy. For I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And there's a big difference um, between trying to be holy for the sake of earning God's love and trying to be holy because there's already a relationship established in love. This is very important for us. Because what happens if we don't understand this foundation? I think a lot of times we're going to fall off the horse on one or two different ways. And that depends on whether or not you actually think you can live up to the standards of holiness. So if you think you can, you think, yeah, I've got this. I know how to love. I love my neighbor. I do all these commands. I've got it. What's going to happen? You're going to think God owes you something. And then what happens when you don't get that relationship or that job or the thing you think you've earned because you've lived up to God's commands? It's pretty detrimental to your faith. And so if you're the other kind of person who looks at the holy commandments and you say, there's no way, I could never possibly live up to this, um, right from the get-go, if you go down that path, which I've been there, the only end of that is despair. So if you don't understand that a call to be holiness is, a call to holiness is predicated on God's love for us, then you're going to fall into despair or you're going to fall into pride and those can be very detrimental to our faith. So having said that, we're called to be holy. We're set apart for God in special relationship to him. 
is your God, and his command to be holy is founded on an already existing relationship established in love that you can't change on whether or not you're successful in being holy or not. And that's good news. And the more we understand this truth, the more delighting in God we will find. The more delightful obeying his commands will become. And it makes me think of Psalm 1. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. When God says, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy, does that sound like a delight to you? If you separate his laws from his love, it absolutely will not be. But if we understand this, the more we lean into this and know that God has already loved us first, it can lead to a deep well of joy and love for God and for others, which is our next point. And I guess I just want to say, if you're exploring faith here today, I just want to ask the question, have you ever considered that the reason God gives us his laws are because he loves us? So God loves us, and therefore we can love him, and we can delight in him, and we can do the same for each other. So that's our second point. Love each other. Let's look at verse 17 and 18. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you should love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Love your neighbor as yourself. What a beautiful command. Sometimes really hard. But God rescued us for this special holy relationship with him, and we are also given to each other in special relationship in a very similar way. And so I mentioned that this chapter is a spelling out of the Ten Commandments, sort of an expounding upon the Ten Commandments, a meditation on them. And it's given to the Israelites as they're preparing to go into the promised land. So God is establishing his nation. He's saying, this is the kind of people you're going to be like. And as they meditate on this, it leads them to verse 17 and 18. Don't hate your brother in your heart. Love him as yourself. This is the kind of people you will be. As God invites us into special relationship with himself, his love for us invites us into special relationship with each other. Now, how many of you up to this point have been thinking about this in purely individualistic terms? What I mean is like in your notes, you're writing, you say, what do I do to love God? What do I do to love my neighbor? Probably most of us think like that because we live in an individualistic society, and that's very natural for us. But that's not actually how these commands are understood. Um, it was for the covenant people of God to be a people. So the question is not what do I do, but what do we do as we're set apart for God? What do we do to love each other? And why is that? Well, for one, loving people is hard. It takes more than one person to love you. It takes more than one person to love me. You can ask my friends. <laughs> what I'm saying is your relationship with God, your salvation, is not about you. It's about us. Your relationship with God is not about you. It's about us. 
And that's a hard one for us. But God's call to love him, actually, it naturally flows into loving others. And it does acknowledge you as an individual, but only in the context of being a member of a community. And that's not just some utilitarian thing where we just obey for, you know, base-functioning society. There is a lot of that. But we are given to each other in love, much like God gives himself to us in love. And you know, that actually means we have mutual obligations to each other. That's hard. But a meditation on God's law leads to this conclusion, love your neighbor as yourself. And we get to imagine what that could look like. They're not just black and white rules. We get to meditate and imagine what loving others could actually look like. And that's what like TV and books and movies do for us, right? They help us imagine what things could be like. And one of my favorite depictions of what a loving relationship looks like is found in the third book of the Harry Potter series. So those kids, they're like really good friends. And you might wonder, why are they such good friends? The reason I'm convinced is because all the adults in those books are amazing people. And so in the third book, you meet this professor, Professor Lupin. And it turns out he's a werewolf. And he meets Harry, and he starts telling Harry about stories about when he was at Hogwarts. And Harry's father and a couple others figure out that Lupin is a werewolf, and they say, well, we want to help. And so what they do is they go through this long, arduous process of learning how to turn themselves into animals. It's like a year long, it's life-threatening, super dangerous, kids usually can't pull it off. But they do it, they say, okay, here's how we're going to help. Every full moon, when you turn into a werewolf, we're going to follow you off campus, we're going to go to an abandoned house, we're all going to turn into animals, and we're going to bite, claw, and scratch, and rip each other apart so you don't hurt someone else on campus. And I thought, what an incredible picture of friendship. It is, though, right? And the cool thing is, like, Lupin's like, no, you shouldn't have to do this. You have no right to do this. You are not obligated to do this. And his friends are like, no, actually, we do have a right to do this, and we are obligated to, because we're your friends. And that's hard for us sometimes, because we don't always think loving relationships should require obligations, but sometimes, deep in our bones, we know this is true for the people that we love, and no one has to tell us. But other times, some people, myself included, we need to hear it. So, Christian, do you know that you are given to one another in love? Do you know that in Christ, you are now his body, and you are given to each other? Do you know that what Jesus accomplished on the cross, part of what Jesus accomplished on the cross is this, his church. It's us. When Jesus was hanging from the cross, before he breathed his last, he looked down at his mother and the disciple he loved, and he said, John, behold, your mother. He said, Mary, behold, your son. We are given to one another in love. And that means a lot of things. And sometimes, I think that means we need to learn a little bit more about how to bite and claw each other, like Lupin's friends. And I think in this passage today, what that means for us sometimes, all that means is learning how to be honest. Look at the verse. It says, don't hate your brother in your heart. 
but reason frankly with him. What happens when someone hurts you and y'all don't reason frankly about it? Maybe like this passage, you turn to vengeance, but I think for most of us today, the relationship just ends, right? And eventually someone's like, hey, what happened? You two used to be so close, you know? And you're like, oh, you know, we just went our separate ways, just drifted apart. When actually something happened and you didn't know how to talk about it, right? I'm guilty of this. I think a lot of us are. Because talking through weirdness and pain is difficult. But can you imagine God's people? Could you imagine this place as somewhere where you could hurt and be hurt and it didn't mean the end of a relationship? That's hard, but I hope that would be an encouragement for some of us. Because what's most people's definition of love, right? Do no harm. Do no harm. And too many of us come to find out that what that actually meant was we were never allowed to have a relationship in the first place because we harmed each other. And so I think we need a little bit more of this. And this is the kind of friendship that we're called. This is the kind of love for each other that we're called to in Christ. Now, I'm going to pause just for a second and address something so you don't hear something I'm not saying. I am not telling you to go headlong into an abusive relationship, and I am not telling you that you need to stay there, that you just forgive people at all costs and remain there. Absolutely nowhere does the Bible condone that. That's not what we're talking about today. What we're talking about is normal, honest relationships where we bump up against each other and we get hurt. And that's scary, right? But we have to remember that this is the kind of friendship God offers us. When we hurt him, he moves towards us in love. And we're called to do that, to reason frankly with each other. And why? Remember, it's not just about two individuals. It's about a community. Our beefs with each other aren't just about us. They're about all of us for the restoration of the community. So love your neighbor as yourself. Because God loves us, we can love God. We can love each other. And lastly, this leads us to loving the outsider. So look with me at verse 33 and 37. I'm going to read some of it. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And then skipping down a bit, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. So do you think, especially if you're a Christian, that we have an obligation to love the outsider, the sojourner? Yeah, probably a lot of us, right? It's kind of a hard one to get around. Jesus and the whole Bible make this a pretty difficult command to get around, right? Like there's some commands where you can be like, well, if you knew the Hebrew, you know, maybe we could change this up. And it doesn't really mean what it means. But when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. You shall love him as yourself. And then you look at Jesus and his life, and who did he hang out with? Prostitutes, tax collectors, ooh, Samaritans. All of the most outsider people you can think of. 
And what's awesome is that throughout the Bible, it makes it abundantly clear that when it tells us to move towards the outsider, it never does that without reminding us that we ourselves were outsiders. That's really, really important. So we get all these laws, and as good as they might sound, love your neighbor, love the sojourner, God absolutely will not let them be arbitrary, off-the-wall commands, unconnected to who he is and what he's done for us. It's predicated not only on the already established loving relationship, but also how the relationship came about. Here, God has rescued the Israelites from slavery because they too were outsiders. He says, be like me. Do to others as I have done for you. And it's no different for Christians today. It says, we who were far off were brought near by the blood of Christ It's not different for Christians today. God always moves first. So we're all about loving the neighbor. Uh, We're all about loving the other today, right? It's all over pop culture. It's in a lot of our movies. How to Train Your Dragon, that's one of my favorite. Captain Marvel did this. And one I saw recently called Jojo Rabbit. Um, It's a strange and beautiful movie. It's kind of irreverent. But it takes place towards the end of World War II, and it's about this sweet young German boy who's a Nazi fanatic, and he has an imaginary friend who is Hitler. And he finds out that his German mother is hiding a Jewish girl in his attic. And so the whole movie's about this boy overcoming his blind nationalism. That's what it's all about. But one of the reasons it's actually a good movie is because it shows how difficult that really is. He's not just like, oh, my mom likes you, we're good, right? And like Captain Marvel, I think they kind of do the thing where they just switch it. They're like, oh, the good guys are the bad guys. And like, we're switching sides now. We're good. Duped you. And you're like, oh, that's kind of cheap. Because it's hard. It's really hard. And we can't do it unless we see that we ourselves were once the outsider. And in Jojo Rabbit, it actually does this. In the beginning, he throws a hand grenade and he gets blown up and his face gets a little messed up. So he sees himself as an outsider as well. And even still, it's so difficult for him to overcome his assumptions about people he sees as less than himself. And that's what we see in this command. God's establishing a nation. He's saying, when you are this nation, you will be the people in the position of power. And sojourners are going to be coming through. Israel's kind of set in the middle of the known world at the time, so a lot of trade routes would go through. And he's saying, people will know who I am by the way you treat them as yourselves, as one of your own. So how do we do that today? How do we love the outsider? Remember, this is a communal we. Um, Guys, it's a process. It is hard to treat people that are different from you. It takes time. It takes relationship. And oftentimes it takes praying that God would reveal our assumptions that we have about others that we don't know we have. And that's really hard. So I want to ask, are we praying? Can we pray that God would reveal the assumptions we have about people that we think are beneath us? You know, some things we think, maybe consciously or unconsciously, may actually be harmful to others. And it's worth asking God to help us see these things. And it's hard. And just like the other calls that we see to love in this passage, love God, love each other, we need to see that God has first loved us. We see that we were once the outsider who was brought in. And that's where we start. 
So what's the point? Love. Because God has loved us. Because God has loved us, we can love. So let's circle back to that 2 plus 2 equals 4 example. Maybe you memorized it. Or maybe you actually had somebody show you, give you a visual. They said, here's two pencils, here's two pencils. You put them together, you've got four pencils, and you actually have a visual to help you understand how things work, right? Visuals help us. God knows this. It's part of why Jesus came. Now, Jesus is not just an example, but God wanted to show us who he is and to help us be like him so much that he actually became a human and walked amongst us. And so in Colossians, it actually says he is the image of the invisible God. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. Do you know that if you are a Christian, you are a part of that? So we get these commands to love. We see the command, love God, be holy for I am holy. And we know a lot of times we just don't live up to it. The truth is Jesus actually did that. He loved God perfectly. And on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was rejected and he faced God's wrath in our place so that we could be brought into a loving relationship with him, we who were far off, and so we could love him. We see the command to love each other. And in the Gospel of John, in chapter 15, Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Jesus loved his friends to the bitter end. And then in the garden, right before he was led to the cross, he asked his friends, will you stay up with me? Will you pray with me? Will you help me carry this load? And every one of them fell asleep and then abandoned him. And then he was taken off and he was ripped apart by violent men for our sake so that we could be given to one another. We see the command to love the outsider. Jesus did this through and through. It's part of the reason why he was killed. And in the end, he was dragged outside the city to a trash dump to be murdered. He was absolutely rejected by his own people so that outsiders like you and me could be brought in. Jesus is the fulfillment of the moral command. We've been talking about a lot of ritual purity laws and how Jesus fulfills those. Well, we're commanded to love. Jesus, as the embodiment of love itself, has fulfilled the moral command to love. This is the God that we follow, who shows us what it is to love before he ever asks us to do so. So we can love because God has loved us first. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, you are a good God who loves us. Your love knows no bounds. It doesn't stop when we disobey. It doesn't stop when we fail. And I pray, Lord, that we would see more and more each day, a little bit more, how much you love us and how that can actually change us so that we could imagine what our lives and what our communities could look like. They are predicated on love and your love for us. 
We see that so clearly in Jesus, who gave himself so entirely and wholly to us as he was nailed to the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead for our righteousness. We thank you for him. We thank you for giving yourself to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.